I suppose looking to a biblical scholar for horticultural advice is akin to asking your mechanic to diagnose a heart problem. Now, if you're fortunate, you've got a mechanic who just happens to subscribe to the New England Journal of Medicine and was a world-class cardiologist prior to taking up her first love of auto mechanics. And if you're fortunate, the biblical scholar you're consulting subscribes to the Rodale newsletter and grew up on a farm before leaving Iowa to go off to seminary in the academic life. And if you're not fortunate, well, you get the picture. The particular scholar I consulted says that with great certainty that the largest portion of fruit is to be found closest to the vine, and that the further from the vine the branch grows, the more sparse the fruit. And that may be true. I don't know. I'm sure someone in this congregation does. Um, whether it's true or not, it certainly fits the image that's being offered by Jesus. Those who stay close to Jesus, those who abide in Jesus, are going to produce fruit and, and abundantly. Those who move away or stay away, well, look out, because God the vine dresser may well deem them unlikely to ever bear fruit and so cut them off altogether. Of course, Jesus also tells us that those branches that do bear fruit are also going to be trimmed now and again in order to keep the fruit coming. So we've got this sort of alternately comforting and disturbing image for the disciples to ponder as they struggle to keep up with Jesus. By this time, the Last Supper has been eaten. Judas has gone off to his fate. And Jesus, as he is prone to do, especially in John's Gospel, has been talking at length to the disciples. He promises not to leave them alone. He promises them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, it's time to go. Rise, let us be on our way. And so these verses that Linford just read for us, these verses are read, are, are spoken on the move. The disciples had no idea where he was going, but they followed. And as they followed, Jesus kept talking to them, and they kept listening. And we don't really know kind of what their affect was or what the spirit of this march was, whether they were kind of joking with one another, having just come away from a meal, or whether they were grim-faced and serious, trying to keep up with their master, but beginning to wonder if they ever would and that maybe they'd even lose him altogether if they didn't keep up. John seems uninterested in those kinds of details. His Jesus, especially in these central chapters of his gospel, his Jesus is verbal in the extreme, a flood of words with occasional whirlpools of images like we have in the beginning of chapter 15 with image piled on image piled on image and all swirling around with the disciples spinning along with them, trying to keep their heads above water, and doing so while trailing along after Jesus to who knew where, but with perhaps this growing suspicion that wherever they were going, it was not going to be good. It's as if Jesus is trying to pour it all out, trying to tell the disciples everything at once, perhaps counting on someone conscientious enough to write it all down someday so that later generations of disciples would have the opportunity to decipher it. There's simply too many layers here to discover on the run. John's Jesus requires some time for processing, for discernment, for making one's way through the maze of imagery. If we remember the setting, the walk to Gethsemane, we can feel, I think, the desperate energy behind these words, energy pushing Jesus to keep on talking, perhaps for his own sake, perhaps for that of his friends. Stay with me. 
Stay with me. Stay with me. Like a branch draws life from the vine, stay with me. Some will be cut off, but you stay with me. You may well suffer, but stay with me. Stay with me and bear fruit. Stay with me out of love. Stay with me for love. Stay with me and love. Stay with me. We can only guess what the circumstances were in John's community when they read these words. Perhaps they were undergoing some kind of persecution. Perhaps some among them had fallen away because of that persecution. Perhaps some were wondering why God was allowing bad things to happen. These words of Jesus might well make sense of their circumstance, calling them to understand everything as happening because of the will of God. Or, if not because of that will, then everything happening under the watchful eye of God the master gardener, whose passion it is to see the vine flourish and its every branch to grow abundant with fruit. Now, as I said, this passage can be read as cautionary, warning the disciples and all of us to stick tight to the vine or risk the consequences. If some of John's community were drifting away or falling back into sin or into some other way were cutting their ties to the community of faith, we can hear Jesus in these verses, we can hear Jesus calling them back warning them of their peril, and warning those around them who may be wavering to stay connected. As much as we prefer not to believe it, there really are consequences for breaking faith with a community of disciples. There really are consequences for turning away from the Lord. This morning, though, I want to hear the comforting message in Jesus' words. I want us to attend to where I believe the stress of Jesus' words truly lies in his affirmation of those disciples who do remain connected and close to the vine. And specifically, I want to take a look at our congregation and see what fruit can be found here. If our biblical scholar, horticulturalist, if you can say that, <laughs> that all together three or four times in a row, you'll never mind. If our biblical scholar, horticulturalist, is right, the amount of fruit that we find may well indicate our proximity to the vine. Now, we often read the words of Jesus as though he's speaking to us as individuals, and I think that's our Western worldview at work. But Jesus was speaking to the community of the disciples, and John recorded his words for the sake of the community. So it seems right that we try to recover the ability to hear the gospel news as addressed to the community, to all of us corporately. It seems right that we begin by hearing things as if they're spoken to all of us and then extrapolate from there with the community's help to figure out what it might mean to us as individuals. And so I'd like us to think about our fruit, the evidence to be found among and within us, East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church, evidence of the Spirit's work among us, of the nurture that comes from being connected to the vine and under the care of the master gardener. And these are some of the things that I thought of as I looked around at all of you for signs of fruitfulness. Well, the most immediately obvious evidence of the Spirit's work among us is the eight new members that we're going to be receiving in just a little while. God is at work among us and causing us to grow, not so much in numbers, though eight is a very nice number, 
But the real growth, the real growth is that which comes with the joining of eight new stories to our own, the addition of 16 strong and capable hands, the wisdom of eight called and gifted sisters and brothers. We've already been enriched by their presence, that they seek to formalize their relationship with this congregation, to tie their branches more tightly to our own, is a sure sign, I believe, of God's care for East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. Some fruit, if you will, a veritable bowlful, which serves as evidence of our proximity to the vine, evidence of the continued care and tending offered by God, evidence of the lively presence of the Spirit among us. Some more fruit. This coming Saturday, we will ordain Pastor Sue, an historical act, one that's never happened here before. But it's so much more than that. What happens on Saturday will be, I believe, the fruit of much hard and good and holy work. The work of calling a young seminary graduate to service among us. The work of providing her with the opportunity to practice her gifts and develop new ones. The work of formation and nurture that is essential to a pastor's development. The benefit of the doubt, the benefit of grace, and the constant support in prayer and in other ways that help a new pastor learn to trust her gifts and to trust the spirit who gave them. The work of discerning together that this pastor that we've been developing is now fit to continue her service among us, but is also fit to serve wherever the Mennonite church might call her. This coming Saturday's action represents the fruit of all that labor and is a sign, I believe, of our proximity to the vine. It's evidence of the continued care and tending that is offered to this congregation by God, the Master Gardener. Evidence of the lively presence of the Holy Spirit among us. And you know, it's a funny thing, but the more I look for fruit, the more fruit I see. The more easy it is to see more fruit. The easier it is to see still more signs of our proximity to the vine and the presence of the Spirit and the care of the Master Gardener. There's the presence of babies among us. Now, I readily admit to being a sloppy sentimentalist when it comes to babies, but you don't need to join me in my sloppiness to see them for what they are. They are little gifts from God, little bundles of fruit, if you will, all sweet-smelling and gift-wrapped, as if God is trying to tell us something in capital letters and in a very loud voice, you are blessed. Then they're in the joyful and energetic children of this congregation, each one a prophet among us, reminding us that what we say we believe is worth celebrating and passing along to the next generation. And they're the passionate and wise beyond their years youth whose questions both drive us to distraction and cause us to think again and so treat our relationship with Christ as if it were a vibrant and living thing. The young adults, the 20-somethings, whose commitment to us, well, frankly, sometimes surprises us and always makes us glad and provide us with new ways of living in the vine. The 30-somethings, established but not yet too set in their ways, not yet caught up in the work of self-preservation, still flexible and open to figuring out what difference the good news really makes and so what difference they can make in the world. And you can see where this is going. The middle-aged folks, my crowd, who continue to seek to be true, not only to what they learned a long time ago, but also to what they see and hear all around them and to find new ways to make the two connect. Our next older brothers and sisters who challenge us with their commitment to keep growing and keep moving and keep wrestling with the truly important things. And then our oldest sisters and brothers, 
whose faith and constancy serve to inspire and anchor us, whose open hearts and open minds keep on stirring the communal pot. All of you, all of us, each one of us, a bit of fruit, if you will, a sign, a piece of evidence of our proximity to the vine, evidence of the continued care and tending offered by God, evidence of the lively presence of the Spirit among us. Unless this begin to sound just a little bit too self-congratulatory for a Mennonite sermon, let me hasten to remind all of us that, well, none of us, none of this, not a single bit of fruit would be here if it were not for the fact of the vine. If it weren't for Jesus, we would not have any fruit to see or celebrate. He said so himself, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. If God were not tending the branch called East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church, we'd have been cast off a long time ago. If the Holy Spirit were not breathing on us every single moment, if the Spirit were not warming us and watering us and feeding us and leading us, we'd be nothing much to speak of. This is not about congratulating ourselves. This is about giving thanks to God for keeping us close to the vine who is Jesus, for tending us with such care, and for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of which is to say that we are a blessed branch, my dear sisters and brothers. More blessed than we can imagine. Because for everything that I've named, for every bit of fruit that I've talked about, there are many more. And every last one of them, a sign of the continued life that is available to us in the vine. And as a matter of fact, I'd like to challenge each of us to spend some time this week looking around our congregation for other signs, for other fruit, for other evidence of our proximity to the vine. Maybe you'll look at the things that we do, the way we behave for that fruit, or maybe you'll look at specific individuals and the examples that they've been to you or to the rest of us. Maybe you'll look at the practices that we hold dear and carry out for the sake of our faith in Christ. I invite you to take a good look around this congregation this week and let your imaginations run a little wild. Keep your eyes open for the smallest signs, the tiniest bits of fruit, those little wild blueberries. And tell somebody what you saw. Tell somebody what you saw. Tell them and then listen to what they have to tell you. And then together I invite you to give thanks to the Master Gardener and to the Vine and to the Holy Spirit. And so doing you will glorify God. And so doing you will bring joy to the Lord. In so doing, you will bear witness to the work of the Holy Spirit. And if that's not abiding in the vine, well, I don't know what is. And so, dear sisters and brothers, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Amen. In fact, I'm going to invite you to take just a moment now to get a nice fresh picture of each other in your, in your heads for the coming week. Take a look at one another and give thanks. Or simply sit in your seat and give thanks to God for the gift of this congregation and the way that the Spirit continues to lead and guide and enrich and nourish us.